Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. I love this church. Uh, one of my favorite writers, Leslie Newbigin, served as a missionary for, for many, many years in India. Came back to his native England, was alarmed at the state of the church when he got back, and he began to write some of the best stuff on what it is to, to, to be ambassadors of the kingdom and representatives of the gospel. And something he said, I'm going to paraphrase it a bit, but, but Newbigin said this, the best argument for the gospel is not an argument, it's a community that believes it. <laughs> and I commend you, First Assembly, because every time I come here, my deep sense is this is a community that believes the gospel and lives the gospel. And it is a powerful demonstration in this, in this city of the God who is with us. So thank you. Thanks for doing that. Power. In power. This is what the theme of this weekend has been about. Imagine a conversation that may have happened between the father and the son prior to the son coming as the representation, the perfect picture, the icon, the radiance of the father. Imagine a conversation, something like this. The father says to the son, son, when I send you to earth, I am going to give you limitless divine power. There's nothing on earth that you can't do. You can reverse the very laws of nature. You can say to death, where is thy sting? And you can say to Lazarus, come out. You can take a few loaves and fishes and break them and multiply and pray over them and feed thousands. You can walk on water, son. Can restore blind to or eyesight to the blind, the power to walk to the lame. I am going to give you limitless, supernatural, divine power. But, son, how you use that power is going to be the primary way people understand who I am. If a conversation like that happened, and certainly I think we can at least speculate that Jesus wrestled with the reality that the Father had given him as the incarnate God on earth, limitless divine power. I think that one of the things Jesus was doing in the desert was working out how he was going to express that power. And you know who knew that? The devil. Because what does the devil do in the desert? He comes up to Jesus after Jesus has been 40 days in the heat, in the cold, with the hunger, with the thirst, staggering. And and, and the devil says this to Jesus. If you're the son, you should use divine power in a way that absolutely overwhelms people. You should, you should 
use social power and multiply loaves and fishes and, and just what a, what a following you would win. <laughs> you should use spiritual religious power. Jump from that temple and let the angels catch you and you will convince everybody. No one will have a doubt in their mind who you are. You should use political power and you can have all the kingdoms of the world under your heel. <laughs> And the son says to the devil, go away. See, one of the most crucial things that the church that calls itself by the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, has to work out is what do we do with this power? We ask for it. We pray for it. But what is it that Jesus would have us do with Divine power. Even if we get just a sliver of the limitlessness of his power. And what I want to do is I want to take you through quickly a story in the gospel of John that helps us think this through. What Jesus intends us to do when he imparts his power. I'm going to start in John chapter 12. And it's a big feast going on. In Jerusalem, and in chapter 12, we read this in verses 20 and 22. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And actually, that like is an insertion. It's a bit more of a demand. We would see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. It's a very exciting moment in the life of the the disciples. You can almost see them running around. Some Greeks come to to, to, to Philip and and they say, we want to see Jesus. Could you bring the man that you hang out with out here that we can have a conversation? We we would see him. And then then Philip runs over and says, Andrew, Andrew, come with Jesus. And Andrew goes over and gets Jesus. And why is it so exciting? Because this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah prophesied, chapter 2, that there was coming a day when God would be so present among his people that the nations would stream to the mountain of God. They would come to the presence of God and they would say, let us go because this God will teach us his ways so we can walk in his paths. And, and, and these men must have this understanding that they are watching in real time the prophecy of Isaiah unfold. There's Zechariah chapter 8, another prophecy. At the end of chapter 8, uh, there's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what happens when people realize that the God of heaven and earth is with the company of the believers. And it says, in that day, Ten men from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come and grab hold of the hem of the robe of just one of you and say, can can we come with you? Because we heard God is with you. (laughs) And so what's so exciting for Andrew and Philip and why they go rushing to Jesus is they have a sense, it's happening. (laughs) It's happening. That very thing centuries ago prophesied is happening right now, real time. The nations are streaming. They're asking. They're grabbing hold. They're saying, we understand God's with you. Can we come with you? Some Greeks come. 
And so they go and get Jesus. And, and, and you can almost feel their excitement. Jesus, come, it's happening. That thing the prophets talked about right now, right outside the door, the neighbors just showed up. And Jesus is so excited. He goes, yay. No, actually, it's not what Jesus does. I want you to listen to what Jesus says and does when he hears the news that the fulfillment all these years on is now coming true in their midst. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, uh, if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And he goes on a bit more about his death. Um, And then this thing right at the end in verse 36, when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now, why are these Greeks so excited about meeting Jesus? It's about power. They've heard, and the verses just before that is they've heard that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. That's in the chapter right before in John 11. And and this is what it says in verses 17 through 19 of John 12. Now the crowd that was with him... Jesus, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world is going after him. The Greeks are part of that whole world coming after him. Because they have seen or they have heard about Jesus' power over uh, the thing that frightens us most, death. And he has raised Lazarus from the dead. And they are saying, I want to see that. I want to taste. Some of them might just be curiosity. That's really cool. I'd like to see that. But I think for some of these people wanting to see Jesus, this is actually deeply personal. Somebody they know is sick. Some marriage that they're aware of, maybe their own, is at the point of needing life support. They themselves, just this past week, got a really, really bad diagnosis from the doctor. And they realized that the one that Philip and Andrew and these disciples hang out with has power. And so they come and they say, we want to see Jesus. And these men go to get Jesus. And then Jesus makes a strange little speech about dying and going away. And then he goes and hides himself. I mean, imagine this. Imagine 
someone here from the neighborhood watching all the comings and goings of this church. And uh, a group of people show up one Sunday morning, maybe today, from the community. And they say, we, we would see Ben. We hear you've got this great lead pastor. We would see Ben. And so one person goes to another person. Another person goes and finds Ben. And, and Ben, instead of coming out to meet them, makes his funny little speech about, I've got to go away. <laughs> and then he goes and hides himself. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what is Jesus up to? These men want an encounter. We're seeing the fulfillment of prophetic prophecy, pro- prophetic uh, promise. In this moment, and Jesus makes a strange speech and goes and hides himself. Well, listen to the speech again. Chapter 12, 23 through 26. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life now listen to this last bit whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant also will be my father will honor the one who serves me here's what Jesus is saying I am about to be glorified but it's not in the way you think I'm about to die I'm going to be, unless the Son of Man is raised up, no one will come into the fullness of life. I'm about to go away. I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect, but I am going to go away. But it's good, he says, he says a bit later in John, it's good good for all of you I'm going away. You see, if, if I remained, it would just be me and all of these people knocking on the door, all of these people seeking, would you give me a taste somehow of the kingdom? Would you, would you show me Jesus? Would you show, I want to see Jesus. We would see Jesus and all these people. And I'm just one person. I can only see so many. But if I die and I impart to you my very life through the Holy Spirit, well, then we have many seeds, don't we? Many, many seeds. And then in case we're missing the point, he says, whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the one way you will show the world who is all going after me, looking for me, looking for power, looking for something that could transform their life, the one way I'm asking all of you who are endowed with my Holy Spirit to show the world that power is I want you to be servants. Yeah, I'm giving you my power, he says, and we can show this from other scriptures that you also might do the miraculous that you also might heal the sick. That you almost also might bring that transforming touch to people's lives. But the fundamental way that Jesus expressed the power of God among us 
is he became a servant of all. Didn't he say that in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, when his disciples are arguing about who's the most powerful, (laughs) who's the greatest, calls them together and he said, guys, you're thinking like pagans? (laughs) Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The number one way, Jesus is saying, that we as the people of God will express the power of God in a way that actually will convince the world is becoming servants. In case we miss the point, what happens almost next in this story after Jesus goes and hides himself is he gets together with his disciples. In an upper room. And we read this in chapter 13. As he gathers with his disciples in that upper room. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour could come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of, the, uh, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. Now listen to this, verse 3, and, and a few verses on. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. That's a lot of power. Limitless divine Power. God knew, or Jesus knew, that the Father had put all things under his power. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that is wrapped around them. And then from 12 on, he says, now what you see me do, I'm sending you to do that. (laughs) Knowing all power was under him, he exercises supernatural, limitless divine power fundamentally in an act of servanthood. You know, there's a a popular thing going around these days uh, um, where people have t-shirts or they put it on Facebook or whatever, my superpower is. You seen that? Uh, my superpower is knitting or whatever. <laughs> you know, imagine Jesus got a t-shirt, my superpower is. He <laughs> put a lot of things on there. My superpower is restoring sight to the blind. My superpower is multiplying loaves and fishes to a few thousands. My superpower is raising the dead. But I have a sense if Jesus was trying to really convey what is at the very heart of how he used divine power, he might put on the t-shirt, my superpower is washing feet. And blessed are you, Jesus said, uh, if you've seen me do this, I'm your master and your Lord, but I'm not beneath this. Blessed are you if you do this too. 
Let me put it very simply. I am so encouraged by this church, and I'm so encouraged that there is a deep, deep conviction here that God wants to pour the very power that raised him from the dead, Christ from the dead, in you. That's what Ephesians says. And that you walk in a conviction that God is going to give you and is giving you and has given you that supernatural power for for, for the healing of people and the restoration of broken lives and all of that beautiful things. But the fundamental thing is that Jesus always expresses that power through servanthood. Always. That in a way God recognizes no power except that it be expressed through love. And and God recognizes no love except it be expressed through servanthood. There's actually no other way to display the power of God except through literally or metaphorically washing people's feet. This past spring, I had the great privilege of uh, going with a couple of friends to France. And right after, we, we flew to England. And in, in France, we spent the last three days of our trip in a little village in France called Trolly. And Trolly is um, kind of, it took us a long time to find it. It's a little village in uh, just north of Paris. And it's really not renowned except for one thing. It's the birthplace of a ministry called L'Arche. Some of you have heard of that. There's a L'Arche chapter. It's now international, but it began in 1962 in this little village. And L'Arche is a community um, established to provide family to people with severe disability. People with physical and or mental disability that they, um, once they reach a certain age, they probably are not going to flourish within their own homes. And so this entire community, about 500 people with disability living in this little village. And what's extraordinary, that, that it's a Christian-based ministry. People from all over the world come sometimes for a few weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years, sometimes they come and never leave. And we sat there in Trolley, and, and for these days we're there embedded with the community and I remember sitting and eating a meal, on, and, and on this side of me is a person with severe disability, on this side of severe disability, such that they could not um, feed themselves. And on either side of them were these Christians who very lovingly and patiently took the food, cut it, fed the person beside them. Complete act of servanthood. We flew from that experience to England and we went to Cambridge. 
the great university, and we went and visited a scholar, some scholars there that were doing some very important work. They were doing some primary translation work for the Bible, and it was very fascinating. But in the middle of the conversation with these scholars, one of them turned to us and he said, do you realize that we're doing the most important work on the earth right here? And I thought, yes, yes, it's very important, but all I could think about is these servants, (laughs) Cutting up the food and feeding the people beside them. And I thought, both are acts of incredible servanthood. But the world that is running after Jesus would see Jesus. And the way we actually reveal him to the world, the power of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the love of Jesus... is by washing feet, by acts of servanthood. Jesus has for a while gone and hidden himself. (laughs) But his Holy Spirit is residing in you. And so the very power that raised him from the dead is running around loose. (laughs) And the community round about us needs a touch, needs to see him. And how good is it that God has given to this community, all of you, his servants, that when people say we would see Jesus, just one of you, in your acts of humble servanthood, reveal him. As we close today, I'm aware that there's some people who may have come today, you you may have come, and I, I think what Ben said at the beginning of this service, we're coming back to the heart of worship. God is inviting all of us back to his heart. The Father is inviting all of us back into his presence. Some of us um, have made a decision a long time ago, some of us more recently, to come back to the heart of worship. But maybe it's been so that you've never actually made a decision to do that. And the Father is appealing to you directly. He's saying, uh, some, some, somehow my spirit has touched you this morning. Somehow a voice other than the one speaking here this morning has spoken to you. Something's stirring up in you. And I am speaking to you. And I'm calling you back to the heart of worship. So we close this service. I, I know they have a, people here who will pray with you. I would invite you any need that you have, but especially if the Lord is calling you to come and know him, calling you back to his heart, would you come and pray with somebody about that today? Father God, I do thank you for this this conference, the way You have come among us with this limitless divine power 
You touch us, you heal us, you open our eyes, you take things that are broken and you restore them. We thank you. Father God, I'm, thank you that when you do this, you do it as a servant. As the Apostle Paul says, though in very nature, God, you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead you humbled yourself and became in very nature a servant, became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Father, as we close now, I pray that um, we come back. Wherever we are, we'd come back to that one who has so loved us and so served us that he has laid down his life for us, to give his life to us. And so, Father, we thank you that that, that the door of heaven is wide open. And you stand, their son stands, arms spread wide. This has come back. Father, may nothing hinder us, not our own doubts, not our own hesitations. May nothing hinder us from coming back to your heart. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church.